Nature is hiring. Our natural world provides enormous opportunities for creating jobs and stimulating economies. More than half of the world's GDP, some 44 trillion US dollars, is moderately or highly dependent on nature. And globally, some 1.2 billion jobs in sectors such as farming, fisheries, forestry, and tourism depend on the effective management and sustainability of healthy ecosystems. But today, the natural world and our economies are experiencing multiple challenges, intensified by the advent of the COVID-19 pandemic. This cascade of crises has had a dramatic and tragic impact on labor markets, eliminating hundreds of millions of jobs and livelihoods. Unprecedented times call for unprecedented responses. So for the first time, the Worldwide Fund for Nature and the International Labor Organization have collaborated on a new groundbreaking joint report urging policymakers to urgently explore the potential of so-called nature-based solutions and seek to integrate them in their crisis responses. With us today are the two editors of the report, the WWF's Global Deputy Lead for Climate and Energy, Vanessa Perez-Sirera, and ILO Employment Intensive Investment Program Technical Specialist, Michael Liu Kisong. Vanessa and Michael, welcome to the podcast. So my first question is for Vanessa. What are nature-based solutions and how do they connect to employment and job creation? Hi, Tom. Uh, in a nutshell, nature-based solutions are interventions that protect, uh, sustainably manage, and or restore natural or modified ecosystems, but with, uh, with the objective uh, at the center of creating a positive and sustained impact on socioeconomic development. So these are activities that conservationists have done for a huge number of years, but now with a measurable socioeconomic development impact purpose. Uh, basically, nature-based solutions connect to employment as they require uh, a fair amount of, of labor activities. And the interesting side of nature-based solutions is that at the same time, they create broader societal benefits. So while they enhance or maintain the, the natural capital base, they create other ecosystem services for uh, other adjacent populations or even global populations such as, you know, storing carbon and uh, helping to address climate change or helping mitigate uh, the impacts of climate change in, in vulnerable populations. Um, so that's, that's basically the way that they connect. Sometimes they have uh, a huge amount of labor requirements at the start with different labor requirements later, such as urban uh, restoration or creating uh, urban forests. But sometimes, uh, and this is the, the very interesting part, is that when you have very well-connected to land tenure to regimes uh, at the local level, uh, they can actually enhance the natural capital base where communities depend on, uh, such as, for example, sustainable forest management or ecotourism or creating non-take zones or fisheries uh, with the objective of creating uh, increased productivity in adjacent areas. So they are, they are very, very interesting in the way that they create uh, immediate no-harm jobs uh, and also they can actually enhance the, the, the income sources flow in the, in the future for, for local communities. Thank you for that explanation. Um, 
Can you tell us how nature-based solutions help with the recovery or can help with the recovery from the COVID-19 crisis, uh, both in the short term and in the long term? So as you mentioned at the introduction of the podcast, we are uh, seeing an economic downturn uh, of unprecedented magnitude. And one of the ways that this economic downturn is, um, is expressing itself is in job losses. Uh, we will see an important impact in the in the labor force. And the interesting side of nature-based solutions is that they often require very specialized labor and that can be immediately put to work uh, with no harm effects on, on nature. Um, so when you think about recovery packages, and we must be very clear about this, there are really no... Uh, not a huge progress in, in, in green recovery packages around the world, except for uh, specific countries, particularly located in Europe. In most cases, uh, governments are spending uh, into very conventional uh, measures that don't necessarily create value into the future. So when we think about uh, recovery packages that don't take us to a downward spiral, which would be the case if we actually uh, invest in things like increasing oil and gas extraction uh, or, uh, or other unsustainable infrastructure that would create or that would harm environment and that would harm the, the natural uh, base that sustains our healthy uh, development in the future. So thinking about uh, recovery packages, uh, we have identified five principles. They, they should improve human well-being without harming nature. Um, they should aim for setting foundation to transform sectors in the in the future uh, towards more sustainability. Uh, use existing institutional arrangements and proven measures that they can include uh, cross-sectoral approaches or collaboration, and that they maximize the creation of decent jobs. And what we found in this study is that uh, nature-based solutions can actually tick all of these five boxes. Uh, they do no harm. Uh, they, they enhance the ability of nature to provide services in the future. They create uh, a good amount of immediate jobs. And, and importantly, in populations that are often the most fragile socioeconomic-wise. Uh, something important to mention as well is that uh, many of these solutions are synergistic in, in, in nature. So, for example, while you are uh, uh, creating jobs, you're also uh, enhancing the community's resilience to future climate events. Um, and many of these communities are actually very hard hit by both the, the, the pandemic as well as, uh, as climate impacts. So the climate uh, crisis is important to recognize that it hasn't gone away. Michael, um, I'd like to elaborate a little bit on this issue of, of uh, the impact of the crisis or the crises on employment. The ILO has estimated that as many as 1.6 billion workers or nearly half of the global workforce are at risk of losing their livelihoods due to the COVID-19 crisis. So could you explain to us how we can integrate and coordinate nature-based solutions with more conventional recovery methods? Um, in effect, I think uh, creating what we could call a kind of hybrid response where they function together. Thanks, Tom. Um, and, and thanks for having me at the, as well at the podcast. So one area where you can, um, you can really see a 
potential for a hybrid approach for, is, is in, in climate change mitigation. So on the one hand, we know nature-based solutions can play a really important role as our forests, our wetlands, our grasslands, and other ecosystems all have the ability to absorb and, and store vast amounts of carbon and so help address uh, climate change. But for this to be done, they need to be restored and they need to be protected. And to do this at scale, um, we can get a lot of people working in these areas to do so. But at the same time, we also know that nature-based solutions alone are not sufficient to, to respond to climate change. And so we need to also have the other solutions we are all aware of, such as shifting to renewable energy sources and a low-carbon economy. So this is kind of an example at the macro level where you need both. You need a hybrid approach. We can have nature do part of it, but we need the other approaches as well. But we can see this also at a much smaller scale, and, and a nice, simple example are green roofs. Um, so such green roofs provide excellent isolation. So they save us heating costs on the one hand, but on the other hand, they really provide a, the space for nature to blossom. And again, expanding such a solution, so for instance, having a program to have a large-scale effort to install more green roofs can again lead to substantial job creation in many countries. Okay, I, I'd like to ask both of you um, uh, if you can tell us how nature-based solutions are being translated into action on the ground. I mean, for example, can you give us some concrete examples where nature-based solutions have been successfully implemented and um, contributed to job creation? Uh, Vanessa? Sure, Tom. I can talk about a couple of examples. One interesting example where you can see uh, the the amount of jobs created at the very start uh, is the restoration of urban forests. For example, in Germany, the Emschler Landscape Park uh, created as much as 60,000 jobs in its initial stages. And as you can imagine, those jobs cannot be sustained necessarily in the future. However, the direct value of ecosystem services that the park provides yearly is estimated at 21 million euros uh, and the additional benefits to users at about 107 million annually. So you can you can really think about these as as uh, as jobs kind of job creating opportunities that create public benefits. In other cases, such as the ones that I mentioned before, uh, for example, when you invest in sustaining the capital that, that maintains uh, sustainable fisheries, for example, there is evidence across the, the world that if you select uh, no-take zones, voluntary no-take zones uh, through uh, community uh, science um, and, uh, and community surveillance, sometimes uh, fisheries yields can actually double. So you have these schemes where, where you actually enhance natural capital and you can see returns uh, double in the, in the future. Another great example, uh, probably at the very large scale, is the Great Green Wall Initiative of, uh, of Sahel um, that provided about 350,000 jobs and, uh, and sequestered 250 million tons of carbon uh, by 2030. 
um, and it's uh, it's it's actually focused on on a particular challenge and increasing food security. So you can you can actually see how this works. So so if you if you look at uh, tackling food security, but through using uh, nature as your ally, um, you can have co-benefits, uh, important co-benefits such as carbon storage, and uh, and in doing so, create an important amount of uh, of jobs. Michael, can you uh, add uh, some concrete uh, examples as well? Sure, Tom. So one area, or one approach also, where we can see the use of NBS is, is to also to very specific job creation schemes. And a great example of this is the, the Working for Water program in South Africa that has been running for, for more than 25 years already. It's called Working for Water. Essentially, it's a large-scale watershed management program. Um, and we know in many areas, and we see increasing water scarcity both to climate due to climate change and increasing population pressures. And and addressing that by working with nature can really help. So on the one hand, if we poorly develop watersheds, we get a lot of water runoff um, that cannot be used. We get uh, the water quality goes down. But by restoring watersheds, we can really turn this around, um, increase water availability as well as water quality for many urban areas. And, and so the Working for Water program, for example, does this in around many areas, around many cities in, in South Africa. Uh, Any time it employs about 20,000 people who are primarily engaged in, in restoring uh, these landscapes and removing a big part of it is removal of alien invasive plants, which use up a lot of the water that would otherwise be available for the city. And it's been shown that such an approach is, is in Cape Town, which is famous for its water shortages, was in the news a few years ago, um, that such approach is the most cost of, one of the most cost-effective ways of, of addressing water shortages in, in this area. Uh, much cheaper, for instance, than building a desalination plant, which is one of the other options that has been on the table. Another example we cite in the, in the report is the, um, is the Grain for Green program in China, which is really the largest reforestation effort in the world. Um, and it's false reforestation of the watersheds along both the Yellow and Yangtze rivers in China, uh, where due to deforestation, we saw a lot of problems with uh, declining agricultural productivity, soil erosion, runoff into these rivers, silting up of dams and reservoirs. And essentially, a lot of the forest areas along these rivers was restored and was done by compensating local farmers to reforest at least part of, this la- of their land. So this then... Uh, provided them with livelihoods, and they are engaged in, in maintaining these forests as well, so they have continued livelihood. And at the same time, they are addressing all these problems related to, to water management in these watersheds. Well, this all sounds very good and, and very interesting, but of course, um, there must be some obstacles or, 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 or roadblocks to um, the wider adoption of nature-based solutions, uh, both at the national and the global level. Vanessa, can you... Uh, Elaborate on this a little bit. Sure, Tom. Uh, the first one is that this this uh, greening the recovery has become now uh, the the new buzzword in the international arena and debates and lots of conversations happening at the international level. I don't I don't think the same level of conversation is is actually happening at the national level, and uh, and it could be for a variety of reasons. I I think that. In, in many cases, for example, environment ministries that are in charge of, of these solutions are really uh, 
probably the third or the fourth layer of ministries within within a country and uh and they're not the ministries that normally uh, the finance ministers who are uh, negotiating loans and, and recovery packages internationally are the ministries that they normally or usually speak to. Uh, they speak to sometimes the, the labor ministries, the economic ministries, then probably energy and uh, social development. And, and I would think that at the very um, last, they speak to environment ministers. So I think creating, moving from the from the global to the national and to the local and, and creating that awareness, uh, it's, it's key. So officers are not taking seriously nature as a possibility, both uh, uh, to create short-term uh, impacts and then, of course, um, the longer-term impacts. Uh, I think the other bottleneck is that in many places, civil environmental, civil society is not as strong as we would like it to be. I think that is growing across the globe uh, in, a, in a positive way. But, uh, but still, many governments are not are not accountable to these uh, to the to civil society in the way that you could see in Europe, for example. And then, of course, the immediacy of the response. Uh, many governments are still dealing with a with a sanitary emergency, uh, while others have already started to craft deals. So, so I think importantly, uh, we need to move this. We have to create awareness. We have to put these numbers on the table, and we have to also extrapolate these numbers at the macro level. So thinking about what this could mean if this could be uh, picked up at, at scale. And of course, at scale doesn't mean uh, to do programs uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a fast and uh, in wrong fashion. So you, we've seen examples of eel restoration programs that are not made with local species and, uh, and in a way that they would sustain themselves in the future. So, so I think also we have to uh, steer away from public populist measures and and really uh, think about the good examples and the evidence that has been brought about now really really clearly on the on the interventions that that work and that work quite really well sometimes in combination with with some conventional measures some sometimes alone and that they, they, they are just really changing the mindset that we're not talking small anymore we can talk uh, large uh, we can talk immediate and and we can talk with uh, with uh, with specific numbers Michael. I just want to add a few things there. I mean, I, I think there's also in, in many places still this kind of this what I call inertia or this falling back to to what we know already, what we're familiar with, so that people um, kind of tend to respond with with the easiest solution or the, the more familiar solution. And I think adopting these at, at scale does require some openness to, to doing things differently and. and um, and being more more innovative or being more collaborative. So I think this is also an obstacle to, to the wider adoption. So another um, thing we need to address really to be able to, to get a wider uh, spread adaptation of these, uh, these nature-based solutions is really how we deal with, with uh, co-benefits. So one key characteristic of nature-based solutions is that they generate multiple benefits, but these accrue to multiple stakeholders. So they may not always accrue to the person or to the institution at financing the intervention. And so these, these benefits then also often don't weigh in into the actual decision 
um, on whether to use these approaches or not. So, and there's two issues here. Sometimes these benefits are hard to quantify because, you know, for example, if there's increased biodiversity or increased uh, access to nature, how do you quantify that? Um, and then there's the problem of them directly accruing to to the person uh, or institution responsible for the financing. Thank you both. Um, we just have a little bit of time left. So can I just ask you for a very brief, um, just the, the most important thing you think needs to happen for nature to become more of a centerpiece within the recovery packages that are moving forward? Vanessa, let's start with you. Thank you, Tom. So regardless of the challenges that both Michael and, and me uh, just mentioned, I think that the most important thing that needs to happen is for policymakers to realize that nature-based solutions can create both short and long-term benefits, as well as global benefits, but as well as local quantifiable benefits, such as job creation. And I think that if they have that, you know, that long-term vision, but uh, that short-term uh, imperative that nature-based solutions can actually be a, a, a very powerful ally in, in recovery packages moving, moving forward. Michael? Yeah, I think this notion that, that, that we should see nature as an ally, both in addressing our practical everyday problems was access to water and sanitation or improving food production, making cities more livable, as well as that nature can be an ally in creating jobs. I think those two, that's, that's the, I think, the shift we need to make um, away from this false choice of whether we value nature or whether we value the economy, but actually to recognizing that, that these, these two are actually symbiotic and we need both. I think that's really the shift we need to, to make. Well, after hearing that, I think it's fair to say that ultimately building a better future of work means building it green. And it goes without saying from what we've just heard that the potential of nature-based solutions to provide job-intense economic recovery while having a multiplier effect in achieving the sustainable development goals to help make sure that no one is left behind. The joint ILOWWF report and these issues will be the subject of a webinar as part of the London Climate Action Week on the 16th of November. Together, these factors send a critical message. We must mend our broken relationship with nature. Why? Because without a healthy planet, there can be no healthy economies nor decent jobs. I'm Tom Netter. You've been listening to the ILO podcast series, Global Challenges, Global Solutions, How Nature-Based Solutions Can Power a Green Jobs Recovery. Thank you for your time. <laughs>